talking about it. Pastor Brian has been reading it. And every time he does in prayer meetings or at church, I just feel like this is a scripture for us in this season. And so it speaks so much to my heart, but I felt like I wanted to dig deep into it and find out what what it was that God was really saying to us through it. Um, It's Psalm 126. And the heading of it, if you wanted to turn there, we'll read it together. And I'm not going to lie, this is a bit of a last-minute message, so I'm just going to be really relaxed this morning. (laughs) Um, But we'll read it together. The heading is a joyful return to Zion. And it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity or the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So I don't know about you, but when I hear that message, when I hear that scripture, something on the inside of me comes to life and I think, oh, this is what we're coming into. This is the season of God that we are coming into. So I just started studying it, praying over it. I just wanted to uncover what it was, what everything in that scripture meant, verse by verse. So I want to just start off before we unpack it, just telling you some terms so that we're all on the same page. So firstly, we need to know if we're, re- if we're having a rejo- joyful return to Zion, what is Zion? And I know that probably about 18 months ago, there was a message, a series of messages preached in our church about Zion. Who can remember those? It was a little while ago, maybe two years. So um, A couple of things from those messages, a couple of definitions, that Zion is a physical place just outside Jerusalem's wall. It's the place where David returned the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. It's a spiritual place and a symbolic place as well as a geographical place. So Zion, through the scripture, is known as the city of David. The scripture prophesies that an eternal kingdom will come out of David's line. So there's a link between David and Zion. And just as King David was a, is a version of the eternal King Jesus, so the city of David or Zion is a shadow of the eternal city Zion where Christ will reign. So the scripture describes Zion as the city of God, the joy of all the earth, the perfection of beauty. It's the city God will establish forever. Uh, It's the place from which the Lord commanded the blessing of life. So this is something in the scripture that is very important to God's heart. And he keeps telling us to come back to Zion. And he keeps telling us about Christ's reign and rule in Zion. And historically, we learn about the significance of Zion, of the city of David. So this is something that I believe that God really wants us to understand because our future is in it, our heritage is in it, but also our our destiny is in it. So in the Psalms, whenever the nation of Israel is favoured or promised future glory, Zion is mentioned in most of those those times. Um, In Isaiah 35.10, it says, and the ransomed of the Lord, 
that means us, the ones who've been saved by Jesus Christ, the ransomed of the Lord, shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This gives my heart so much hope because... Do you know what? The scripture is so poetic. It is so beautifully poetic and it has so much imagery to it that when you start reading these words, the ransomed of the Lord, do you know what? Jesus gave his blood, his very life as a ransom to set us free. That's us. We are going to return and come to Zion because of what he did for us. So whenever we read about Zion or speak about Zion, It's like there's an imagery that begins to build in my mind's eye. Or sometimes I actually think it's it's more than that. It's like in the in the vision, in the spirit, that's what I see. And so this morning, as I read out these things, I just want your spirit to come alive with it and to follow where it's leading. So have a think about what do you see? When we read, the ransomed of the Lord shall return, come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy being upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What do you see? Like, it's an incredible imagery. Even just, you know, when I think when we worship God and when we have a touch of heaven, that to me is a touch of Zion. There is singing, there is gladness, there is joy. And do you know what? When I'm in those moments, every bit of sorrow and frustration, it does flee away. This is what keeps me going. This is what gives me life and brings me joy. And that's why even when times are tough, I don't want to take a break from this place because this is my place of life. This is my my place of Zion. Only a little bit we feel every Sunday, but there is so much more. But it gives you this... um, this vision or this imagery of a place of restoration, a place where there's no sadness, there's no sickness, there's no um, sorrow, there's joy, there's gladness, there's worship. This is a place that is not only um, speaking of what will be in our eternal reign with Jesus, but also what we can touch here on earth, heaven on earth, because it is mentioned so many times. So the other thing about Zion is... It isn't a new place. It's always referred to in the scripture as if we're coming back. So it's the place where we're meant to be, where we're meant to be all along. It's a place of restoration. It's a place where God restores us. He brings us back. It's actually a place called home for us Christians. So it's a place where, you know, when we, when we are saved, when we're set free and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we leave in, in the spirit, we leave a place of captivity and God's calling us. He's like, come on, you're, I'm transferring you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And as we go on that journey, it's like we have the, this is what I believe from my journey and from what I've read in the scripture, but it's like, I feel like I have a time of transition where I have points of breakthroughs and victories. And then I reach my, my ultimate breakthrough and it's like I have a touch of heaven on earth and I hold on to that and I build my life on it. It becomes like a brick in the wall of this temple. And then I go again. And, you know, I go through times of sorrow and joy. We go through times of darkness and light. But the whole time, God is leading us and calling us to return to our true home, our place of restoration. So it's not just a place we visit or or touch. It's meant to be a place where we dwell. So I just want you, as I'm 
as I'm describing it to get a picture in your mind, if you might already have one, but this just brings me so much hope. So when we spoke about Zion uh, last time at church, we spoke about its opposite or its contrast being Mount Sinai. That's where the, the law of Moses came down and it was limited. The people feared God. They couldn't touch him. They couldn't experience him directly. They actually said, God, your glory is too much for us. You know, uh, Moses' Moses's glory is too much because he'd been with God. They needed he, him to veil his face. That is not the experience God wants to give us of him. So the law was good for that time, but it was always meant to be temporary. It was limited. It couldn't give us life. It, it couldn't give us uh, a future. And that's where Jesus came in and he fulfilled the law and he became our life. So Zion's, there's another opposite to Zion in the scripture and that is Babylon. So where Zion is a place of freedom, Babylon is a place of exile, captivity and persecution. It was a worldly, pagan, sinful and indulgent place. It was where the people of God were, were captured. Um, they were brought into exile in Babylon. It was a giant empire at the time. It was the superpower of the earth at the time. But it was a, an evil culture. And it was a place where the people of God were mercilessly persecuted. It was a place where the captors taunted the Israelites saying, sing us one of your songs of Zion. Because they were, so, they were weeping. They had so much sorrow. And they taunted them and teased them. So, you know, it's a place of mockery. It's a place of persecution. So each one of us would have had a spiritual, a touch of spiritual Zion but we would also have experienced the spiritual Babylon. So who this morning, just a little raise of hand so I know that you understand, but who feels like with that description you understand what Babylon means and you've had a bit of a touch of that in your life? If you've ever had, yeah, if you've ever had um, exile, captivity, you haven't felt free, you felt persecuted, mocked, that is... Babylon in the scripture. That's a symbol of, of what's going on here. And in the same way, when we have victory, revelation, breakthrough, when we have that touch of heaven on earth, when we have joy, gladness, that is a touch of Zion. So you can have, you've got both going on. Um, one of the pictures I had was um, of Zion is, you know, sometimes we're like, what is, what is heaven on earth? What is that going to look like? What does it look like to be under an open heaven? Um, and I remember Pastor Brian saying to me, legacy camp, that was open heaven. And our church got together about two years ago now, and we had a camp called legacy camp. We hadn't had a church camp in a very long time. They're always so much fun. But um, this church camp was very different and a number of people got really set free at that camp. Tim was one of them. I had a breakthrough at that camp. Um, but during it, we had this crazy wild night. I think it was on the Saturday night where <laughs> I don't even know how it started. But all these old songs came out and we were just, does anyone remember this? <laughs> We were dancing, we were just, we were like having a party, like we were, people were dancing, singing, resurrecting old 
tunes from the teenagers, but it was like people were just hugging and there was so much joy in the place that Pastor Brian said, that is open heaven. That's what it looks like. And it was more than what we were doing. It was just like our hearts were filled with so much gratitude, so much joy, so much happiness that you couldn't help but do something. So we had just, we we had people dancing and, you know, like for example, back in the day, don't judge me on this, it was when I was a teenager and I was, you know... just passionate (laughs) and I loved dancing and we had this flag ministry and I was there, I was there with the flag ministry so we used to have these flags that we'd do dances with and we'd go out into the street, God help us, (laughs) if anyone remembers that, we'd go out into the street but we would put on this Christian music and we'd have this youth dance flag troop and we'd be twirling those things and and flicking them and jumping and, and I was just so excited that I don't know where these flags came from, but flags came out and I got so excited. I would never do it in public again, but I got so excited that Kathleen goes to me, she shoves them in my hands and she goes, dance. And I go, okay. So I run from one corner to the other and I do this massive balletic not wasn't a flip. I don't know what you'd call it. I'm not going to do it. Sorry, I'm getting a bit excited. I'm always worried about what tricks I'm going to do when I'm like this. But I did this big leap with the flags and made it so dramatic. And then I landed and I did my back so badly. (laughs) So, so badly. Like I got a dodgy back right and I've had it for years. And I just, you know, it just slipped away. The, the, the thought of being 36 years old and having a dodgy back left me and I did this leap of joy and I landed and I just like flopped on the floor. Someone dragged me, helped me, drag me to a chair and I'm lying on the chair with my <laughs> leg in the air and I'm just like, and I'm laughing but I am crying because I'm in so much pain and it's just ridiculous. But This is what the feeling of joy was like in that place. We were just like, oh, we've just got to dance. We've just got to sing. We've just got to... And this is what this reminds me of. We were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. It was like bursting forth from the inside of them, bubbling up. It's not like someone said, all right, we're going to worship, sing a song. Come on, guys, let's lift our voices. Come on, let's, let's laugh. Let's have a bit of fun. It wasn't like that. It was like... God had brought us out of such a painful season as a church, many individuals, but also many cor- uh, in, in corporate, a corporate sense, we'd felt a lot of pain. God was bringing us out of that captivity of that season and leading us into something new. And it's like the word that came out at that, that legacy camp began setting people free one after the other. It started a process in me of freedom. It set something free in Tim after years of depression. So it wasn't like we were conjuring up anything or we were being a crazy bunch of people. It was like we were just so filled, we had to let it out. And that's what an open heaven is like. So um, when we're talking about Zion, it's like corporately we have a sense or an idea, a vision, something in the spirit of what this church will be like what our lives will be like, what our city will be like, and what our nation will be like. It's almost like God gives you a glimpse of the future. 
And when we go through tough times, that glimpse is what keeps me going. And I remember the first time I walked into this church, it was November 1995, I think. I was 12, I was 12 years old. I was not that much older than Levi. And I remember listening to Pastor Brian preach for the first time. I'd never actually been to many churches before that. I didn't have a lot of church experience. But when he spoke, it was like his words were loaded. He's still like that. It's like his words carry such an energy of the spirit. I was captivated. And he would, in every prayer meeting, every church service, every time I even spoke to him, he would start painting a vision of what I believe is Zion. He would start talking about, you know, I remember as youth, we would say the city of sale is the city of God. And, you know, that's what Zion is. It's the city of God. We started, um, he started teaching us how to pray and prophesy over our city about what, what was in the heart of God for it. So we would be praying and prophesying. I would see people being restored, being set free, the addicted finding healing and freedom and deliverance. I would see marriages restored. These are the, these are the things that we are actually seeing in our city, little bits of it. And I believe that because of Um, what is in our mind's eye, what is drawing us up to meet that vision, to become that church of the future, for our city to become Zion, the city of God, that is what keeps us going. When things get tough, that is what pushes us up. It's like when Paul describes the upward call and the prize and the goal of it. That's our prize. And I know that that speech and that vision that has come out of Pastor Brian's heart, it's become like the mantra of this church. It's become like the heartbeat of this church. And even young ones who come in, they pick up that spirit of prophecy and they begin saying, um, I want to see marriages restored. I want to see families restored. God's going to do this. He's going to heal people. There's even a pastor in Broken Hill who doesn't know anything about us who had a dream of this laneway out here being just filled with the glory of God and all the broken people of the city coming in and before they even hit the doors of the church being healed and delivered and set free. That's Zion. And so that's what, do you you understand now that that's what we can stay down here in our limited temporary position, but every time we reach out with our hearts, every time we worship, every time we pray, every time the Word of God comes out and you grab it into your heart, you're actually pushing this thing up. You're actually lifting this up. That's why I take this church and what we do so seriously because I don't see it as attending a service or, you know, coming or not coming to a prayer meeting depending on how I'm feeling. And there's times when you can't, that's okay. But I see it as a step up each time and I'm pushing towards this goal. And together corporately, if we do that, we we get there, we touch that. So um, about 18 months ago when we were speaking on Zion, um, sorry, I don't know how long I, what the time is. Um, yeah, so so when we were doing that series on Zion, I had thanks, buddy. I had this um, this message I preached, which was about return to Zion, because in my mind, in my spirit, every time I came to God, 
It was, that was all I was hearing, return to Zion, return to Zion. And I know it's in the scripture. So I started reading about the return to Zion in the scripture. Um, this was one of them, Psalm 126. But then I did some research and I discovered, and you might remember this, but I discovered that the return to Zion is actually a historic event. And it was... Um, it was in the early 1900s when the Middle East had taken over Israel and the country of Israel was pretty much wiped off the map. The, the map. So the, the other Middle Eastern countries had invaded it, um, had uh, taken over the state and the Jewish people were scattered to the four corners of the earth. And there was a movement that began with Jewish leaders because they started foretelling that, you know, this puts our people at risk of persecution. And they started lobbying, uh, these Jewish movements started lobbying the League of Nations, which was an international body, which later became the UN, the League of Nations, different governments saying, can we come together and, and recreate the state of Israel for our people? Our people need a home. They didn't get a lot of traction. No one really listened to them. And then uh, World War II happened and all of a sudden everybody started listening because it was a miracle that those people weren't extinct forever. So what happened was... Um, Sorry, I'm just trying to find. So in May, in May 1948, the League of Nations, Nations got together and they decided, and there was a British mandate, a British decree that went out that said return to Zion. And they created the, the modern state of Israel back in the traditional land. And millions, first hundreds of thousands, then millions of Jews from around the world heeded the call, return to Zion, and they converged back on their home. That's incredible. It's something that we see in the Bible and it's something that we see in modern history and it's something that we see in the spirit. So there is all this convergence that I think everything is telling us to go to this place. As spiritually speaking, as Christians, we are now the children of Abraham. So we are, when you see Israel in the scripture, it's a symbol of you. It's talking about the church. Um, so it was incredible that um, the Jews were almost erased from the earth, but when they, and when they were scattered, they were weak. When they were dispersed all over the world, they were weak. They were the prey. They were prey for Hitler. They were prey not only for Hitler, but for Stalin, for a whole lot of dictatorships across Europe. They had trained their uh, eye on them and they wanted to wipe them off the mat. But now, 80 years later... They have not, the persecution and the, the military attack against Israel has never stopped. Every gun in the Middle East, every missile is trained on that one country. When you see the map, it's just this little sliver and there's these massive lands around it that's, you know, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iran, uh, and they're all against Israel. Yet that country stands. It is small, but it stands. Um, As in constant military activity. I forgot you went to Israel. <laughs> you were telling me yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, so it's a small country, but it holds its own. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. 
I find that incredible. Yet it endures. It not only endures, but it advances. Um, more scientific, medical, and technological breakthroughs come out of Israel than any other country. So this is a picture of us. When we are dispersed and scattered, and I don't mean geographically, but spiritually. So sometimes our bodies can be here in church and my body would never leave this church. But when the enemy hit me hard, it was like my soul, my heart scattered, my spirit scattered. I didn't know where I was. So I just kept showing up here like a zombie and smiling. And you can't put anything over Pastor Brian. He knows, he knows when you're faking it. (laughs) So he kept going, where are you? And I'm like, here. No, you're not you're somewhere else. Where are you? And I'm like, but I'm here. I'm never going to leave here. And he's like, I'm worried about you. You need to come back to the house. And I'm like, but I am in church. I will never leave church. But he was speaking to my spirit. And there was something in me that started drawing me back. And I was scared. But I did. I followed that voice. And I praise God for it. Because he's just revealing things to me about this. Um, So when we are spiritually scattered, we are weak. We become prey for the enemy. But when we allow God to draw us together and when we show up to church, not just in our body, not just as a matter of like Corey said, ticking the box, but when our whole being comes, like when our heart is here, when our spirit is here, when our mind, when our attention is locked onto this place, God starts doing something. It's like you become a whole person. You're not split in all these different directions. You're not sitting here but worried about your family or worried about your business or worried about this or that. But you are here. You are present. You are becoming a living sacrifice from God. But not only that, your brother, your sister in the spirit, they're here too. It's like God brings this convergence together and he begins building with us and drawing us up and drawing us higher. That's what we want to get to as a church. And I believe that's what's starting to happen. So I was so fired up about this message and I just kept saying to everyone, you've got to return to Zion. Every time I had a pastoring meeting with someone, like every time someone needed help and they're like, look, I'm going through this. It didn't matter what the issue was. My answer was always the same. And I'm sorry if anyone got annoyed with the answer, but it was just so true. And I'm like, I want to try to make you understand this is not just a generic fix all that I that I think this is the word of God. You've got to come back to Zion. You've got to connect your heart back to the house and start coming up together. So it's because, do you know what led, what led me to Babylon was, um, it's like what led me to a place of exile will be different to what takes you there. But, you know, I, I'd been through the plebiscite. I'd lost my job because of it. I was discriminated against. I was defamed on the front page of the newspaper. I was blamed for violence um, by the newspaper. Like, this is not some crazy on Facebook, although that went wild. It was very hard to deal with. It's like I woke up every morning and I think, why am I so anxious? Oh, that's right, the plebiscite. I'm scared to look at a newspaper. I'm scared to look at, I'm scared to open Facebook. What are they saying about me today? You know, so people came out against me, not just unknowns, but um, it's like the energy in that. It got people in my family. It got to my friends. And these are people that I truly had given my heart and soul to. I'd, people that I'd 
you know, I'd babysat their children. I'd fed them. I'd had them around for dinner. I, I cared for them. I gave them, gave them things. I, I wanted to provide for them. I wanted to help them. Then turned around on Facebook the next day and said, yeah, that's a cult and she's a bigot and she's a homophobe. And, right, you know, so the, the, the attack was personal and it was very public and it hit me right in my soul and it painted a false narrative and recharacterized me as someone that I wasn't. And all of a sudden I was just felt like I was trying to gasp for air. And that was what drove me to a place of exile because all of a sudden I thought, you know, deep in my heart, I thought, God, what have you done? Like, how can you let this happen? And because that is exactly what the enemy wanted. And because of that, I kept showing up to church, but in my heart, I was just like, I can never trust him again. I can't, you know, I'm going through so much pain. And so it's like the enemy had grabbed me and taken me to Babylon. And that was my exile. And it was like, I felt the taunt, the taunting there. I felt the mockery. I felt all of the, the sorrow, all of those things. But what takes you to Babylon? Just think about it for a minute. What, what is holding you captive? It could be, you know, I don't even think it could be addiction because I believe addiction is the symptom. There's something else going on that is going on deep in your heart that creates that problem. So, you know, the root of my, my sorrow has always been rejection because of my childhood and I had a very tough childhood. It's always been rejection. So whenever, you know, something bad happens, all of a sudden I feel like that little girl who's rejected again by her parents. You know, the nation hates me, my mum and dad hate me. Oh, you know, like I'm just going to go take myself to Babylon and have a whinge there, you know. But, but what, is, what is pulling you into exile? Um, I don't even, like, like, like addiction is, you know, I wouldn't even say depression is your captor. There's something else deeper that is the root of that sometimes. Sometimes it can be a medical issue. Other times there can be a spiritual root that just keeps, keeps it reoccurring. So as I'm preaching, just think, what is holding me captive? What is my captor? The reason being is because God is going to lead you out of that. And we're going to get to that. So, so I just want to get into unpacking the verses. Um, so the first one is, when the Lord brought back, back the captivity of Zion. So the first point this morning is freedom from captivity. That's what a return to Zion means. That's the first thing that happens. The captives become free freedom from captivity. So if your life belongs to Jesus, you are a citizen of Zion. You do not belong in Babylon. You do not belong in a place of exile. And if you don't know Jesus today, he wants to adopt you into this into his spiritual family, make you a part of make you a citizen of that city. So God has it's like Jesus has a certain um, strategy with captors. And I love this. This hit me and made me very excited that in 
Ephesians 4, 8. I'll just quickly go there. Because this shows his heart for you. And then when you realise what it is, you're like, oh, he doesn't want me here anymore. So in Ephesians 4, uh, 7, it's talking about the spiritual gifts that God gives us, um, the grace, the measure of Christ's gift. In verse 8, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. This is awesome. I love this. When I realised this, it changed my life. He led captivity captive. And then he gave us gifts, all because he rose, he ascended on high. So Jesus himself dies on the cross. And sometimes I feel like when I look at the Christian church today, the modern contemporary church, I think the cross is always the central point of Christianity. But it's like Christians sometimes see it as the end, the start and the end. Um, And they keep coming back to the cross, keep coming back to the cross. There was an awesome quote uh, that came from Dr. Jonathan David this week that said, if your eyes are always on the cross, you're looking at the past. You're looking at your sin, your past life. You're asking forgiveness all the time. But if it's on the throne, you're looking to your future. Do you know what? The work of Jesus began at the cross, but it finished at the throne. So he died on the cross to pay the ransom for you and I. But then he went, he made himself a, a uh, man, he humbled himself, he died, he went down to hell and he got the keys of the kingdom. And he went from hell and he resurrected right to the throne. With Actually, there was a point where he was on the earth between that. But the point is that resurrection life, that is what we're meant to live in. So the throne is the point that we are meant to be living from. And, and the, the, the point where we look at, like, um, where our, our eyes are fixed on, it says that we are seated at his right hand, ruling and reigning with him. Sometimes I feel like we're stuck at the cross saying sorry all the time. Um, I remember when I did Mark and Remy's testimony on a blog post, Mark was talking about his life, his experience with Christianity before he came here was, was so circular and cyclical. He was saying, I could never break free. I was always coming back to the cross saying, forgive me, Father. I could never break free of my sin. I could never break free. That's a sign that Jesus loves you. He died for you. You're saved. But it's a sign that you haven't broken through and come from the cross to the throne yet. There's no transformation taking place yet. There's just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've mucked up God. I'm sorry. God is always there. His grace is always there for us. But he wants you to transcend above that and live on another plane. So the the thing about the captivity here is that when this was written, when Ephesians was written, I don't know, who was it, Paul? Yes. Um, when, it, when Paul wrote it, it was during Roman rule. And I heard a teacher explain this, that um, when the Romans came in and they conquered a new territory, they, were, they would actually gather up all the men of that town. They would put them in um, massive 
don't know, carriages, and they would lead them away by horse and they were captives. They were chained, they were bound to that carriage and they were going all the way to Rome to be the servants and be whatever they were, Rome wanted them to be. They were slaves. So that all, all of a sudden they were free men and all of a sudden they'd become captives to Rome. And this is how Rome treated captives. They threw rotten fruit at them. They mocked them. They screamed at them. They, they taunted them. They told them they were slaves. So these poor captives are led away from their home country all the way to the capital of Rome and taunted the, the whole way. So this is an incredible image. When you think about before when I said, what's holding you captive? What's holding you bound? What's keeping you in exile? Mine was rejection. Yours might be fear, insecurity, um, whatever that deep issue is in your heart. You imagine that as a person personified, chained to that wagon and being taunted and mocked and led away to captivity. God actually wants to make your captors his captors. He actually wants to lead your, what is holding you captive? He wants to lead that into captivity. That is incredible because before that point, I always thought, I always thought I'd escaped. Like I'd, I'd run away from Babylon and I'd escaped my captors. I'd escaped rejection. I'm fleeing from it. I'm running away from it, but it's still always there. It's, there's still a chance, a possibility that it could run after me. That's not actually what God's saying. And he's not, that's not what he's telling us. He's saying, I don't want you to flee. I don't want you to run away. I don't want you to escape. I'm actually going to, whoever is holding you captive, I'm going to hold them captive so you can live free. That's amazing. That is true freedom. Then it doesn't, it's not like I'm a fugitive. It's not like I'm running, I'm on the run. It's like you can be totally set free from whatever has held you captive because he's taken it captive. That's awesome. So it's a complete restoration. Um, the second part, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. So the second point is the restoration of joy. So the question is, this is what I was thinking at like midnight last night when I was writing this. I was like, when was the last time you were so happy that you burst out in song? I, sometimes I do this because I feel like I'm a Jack Black in female version and, and, I, and I do silly things when I'm excited and when I'm happy. But when was the last time you were so happy you burst out in song? When was the last time you were so grateful and joyous that you couldn't control your laughter? Like not because you've seen something funny but because you're actually so full of joy that you laugh. Like for me it would have been Legacy Camp. That was the picture of what was happening there. Um, when was the last time your life was so good that it was like a dream? You were like, wow, I'm going to take stock for a moment because I'm living the dream. So when was the last time you were so full of faith about the dream that God's put in your heart? So most of us would have to say, look, not, no, because... You know, regular life doesn't really tend to invoke that kind of reaction. <laughs> You're just going through the day-to-day, -day, the mundane. There's a, a million and one things that, 
that drag you down and make life very monotone. (laughs) But this is what God wants to, this is the way God wants us to live. He wants us to restore, He wants to restore our life to that point. So our life on this earth, yep, it can be hard. There can be things thrown at us, but it always, God always wants to restore us to live in a place like this. So this is the pure joy that comes from being set free. So I remember when, um, like when I went through a very big transition period here during my teenage years in this church, I was so broken and so volatile and vulnerable. And I remember God just took me on a process and it was like I was going step to step, glory to glory. But it took about 10 years for me to really feel like I had been healed from the hurt and the pain of my past. But when I was, I just remember changing and the the testimony of my mouth was, I hear people say God doesn't do miracles, but he did a miracle. My life is a miracle. I know you can't see it, but it's like, you know, in the spirit, I was an invalid. I was, I was you know, I may as well have been um, on crutches. I was just, that's what it felt like in the, on the inside. I was so disabled by the pain and the, and the heartache that was in my soul. And God rebuilt me. And it was like, gave me a new joy, a new heart. He totally restored my life. And the pain from the past just faded away. It's like that was a different person. It happened to someone else. But I was like, he does do miracles. I'm a miracle. On the inside, there's a big miracle. I know you can't see it, but you know, it was like emanating out of me. And that's what it's like. God wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore your faith. He wants to restore your freedom. And I feel like he's done that again in me in this season. So where Babylon kills your joy, Zion restores it. Where Babylon steals your dreams, Zion reignites them. Babylon shuts down the song of your heart, but Zion inspires it again. And I just wanted to speak over you this morning for anybody who feels that pain, that heartache, even that monotony of everyday life. I just wanted to say this morning in your heart, rise up and grab it again. Sing again. Dream again. Laugh again. Have, find your joy again. When you discover God in your trials, you will find all of those things again. And there was a, I think we have a meme on Facebook about it, but it was a quote that Papa, uh, Pastor Brian mentioned um, in one of his messages on the foundation of truth. He said, we can either give up in our time of need, lack, poverty, frustration or sickness, or we can find God in it. And do you know what? If we give up, if we stop following God in those times, we are exchanging, we're trading that beautiful destiny God has for us for our current situation. There is no way, even no matter how hard it gets, there is no way that that is a fair trade. That is a dodgy exchange. We want that future, that destiny to become ours. So, you know, when you find God in your pain, he begins to lead you up, pull you up, and just step by step, you keep following him. Sometimes it's in faith. Sometimes you have to find a leader that you trust. So for me, it was Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian and Lynn, and it was my husband. And even when I felt like I didn't have my own revelation, I didn't have my own faith, I couldn't feel anything, I couldn't 
sense anything in the spirit. I didn't know what God was doing or what his heart was to me. I doubted everything, but I locked on to what they were saying and to what they were doing. And by faith, I followed that until God led me to a place where it was like all the voices of fear and rejection were drowned out and then he could speak to me. But he was speaking to me all along, but I just couldn't hear it because I was in Babylon. And it's like you have to follow your leader out of Babylon. When you get that, um, when you're in that much pain, you've got to follow someone else. That's why he gave you a leader. You can't do it all yourself. And then he starts speaking to you. And every word that I feel comes from the mouth of God, it makes my soul sing again. It makes my heart beat again. And it's like now, whereas before I, I may have been borrowing someone else's revelation temporarily, it was like now every word I sing in worship it just has this weight in my heart. Like every word that comes from this pulpit, it, it's a seed in my heart that begins to change and grow and, and transform me from the inside. So that's what it's like. That's what returning to Zion is like. Um, the third point, it says in the next verse, This, uh, sorry, this is still verse 2. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So that's what the nations are saying. And then this is what Israel says. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So there's two parties speaking here. And the third point is a changed testimony. So the, the thing that is so incredible is that the first people to publicly recognize and testify to the amazing work God was doing in Israel were not the Jews themselves. It was the other nations. Now, these nations have historically, the nations surrounding uh, Israel, Babylon, in that whole Middle Eastern area, they were historically enemies of the Jews. And do you know what? We will get to a point when we, we are returning to Zion, we're coming back, our hearts are connecting to the house of God afresh, we will get to a point where even our enemies, even the people who have been against us and spoken against us, they will say, God's moving there. God's doing great things for them. You know, when we, when we came into this building and we had the opening, the town was abuzz with people saying, wow, look at what they've done. It's like they were trying to say, look at what God has done. But they're like, well, look at what they've done. Look at that building. And everyone I spoke to said, I can't wait to see that building. That's beautiful. Look at what you guys have done. But it's like their hearts were giving glory to God, even though their mouths didn't have the words. It was like their hearts were like, wow. And that's what it's like, change testimony. So it's like the, the, the people around us say, look what God has done. And we say, God has done great things for us. It's, it's like our testimonies become connected and it's like we're the, we're, we have the same frequency. So, you know, don't get sidetracked or don't get intimidated by the opinion of the secular world because that's what the nations surrounding Israel symbolise in the Old Testament. They symbolise the secular world. They've got a, a lot of opinions about church these days. Some are justified and some are very irrational. Don't get intimidated because um, it's a false narrative. And in the end, God's going to do something. If we keep moving with him, we don't let that intimidation 
um, hinder or halt our followership, we keep moving with God, we'll come to a point where even they say, wow, look at what God's doing. So the next bit is bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So the fourth, fourth point is a transformed life. So there are very few transformations more dramatic than a dry gully turning into a torrent of water. And I won't go into all the geography of it, but the, the point in Israel's geography they were talking about was very, was extremely dry, barren, desert. But apparently there were rains in the autumn that would come in the mountains far away and all of a sudden it, the, the stream beds that were dry would just fill up and become massive flow, flowing rivers. And sometimes that's how God moves. That's how his spirit moves suddenly. And even those, um, those dry gullies, when they were filled with water, it would turn the surrounding desert into grass and flowers overnight. So that's what God can do in your life. When, he, when his spirit begins to renew, refresh you, transform you, it's like everything around you, even the desert places, even your family and friends who might have been hard, all of a sudden it's like God's fruitfulness begins to touch them as well. His transformation begins to touch them. Incredible. Uh, the fifth point, it says in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. So this point is about fruitfulness. So there, these two verses are amazing because it shows two ways that God moves. When we talk about the suddenness um, of, the, of the river flowing again, the dry river flowing again, that's quick. That's unexpected. That's a quick move of God that just floods through. And then there's here uh, in this verse, there's, we're talking about um, when God moves slower and finally after many seasons of sowing and sowing and sowing in tears, all of a sudden your hard work begins to show for it. So the suddenly and the slowly, God moves in both. And often great joy is preceded by a season of tears. And it's like the tears can be like seeds that we sow that will later on bring a crop of joy. So it's like as long as you give this to God and you keep following through your pain, it's like nothing no, nothing is ever wasted. Even the pain can become seeds that bring joy later on. So then it goes on to say, he, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again, with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So this, it's still on point number five, but this just enlarges the picture. It magnifies the imagery here. That, you know, just it's just incredible that the, the fruitfulness is sheaves. Like, you know, I've got a picture of a, of a person just up and down, sowing tears, sowing tears, sowing in tears, um, sowing seeds, but never getting any fruit. And then all of a sudden, they're coming out with sheaves, like not just 
not just a handful, but bringing sheaves with him. Like that's incredible fruitfulness and faithfulness. So this morning, I just wanted to encourage you, you know, there might be people in this room who feel like you've been sowing for a very long time and have not seen any fruit. And I just wanted to speak over you the suddenly and the slowly, and God is faithful in both, that this scripture, this is something that has been on Papa's heart for a very long time, that he's been praying over, speaking over us, and I just feel like this is the season where we are coming into a joyous return to Zion, and we're going to see our fruit, we're going to see streams flowing where it's been dry, we're going to hear our laughter again, we're going to hear the sound of our song again, we're going to dream again, you know, we're going to find one another again, we're going to truly find our brothers and sisters again, you know, like... Uh, it's incredible what God, the, the fruit God brings in relationships, that you can know someone for a very long time, but all of a sudden you, you move to a place in the spirit where God makes your hearts like one and you are so strong. So I know I said I was going to be relaxed and I was probably not as relaxed as I said, but I'm just so excited this morning because God is doing amazing things in this church, amazing things in our lives. The testimonies of changed lives, they are just starting. We are going to find our voice. We're going to find a way to get our testimony in the city. Maybe if the worship team just wanted to come up, I just wanted to give you a chance to respond because I feel like, you know, this message inspires me so much that if I were down there, I'd be like, right, I'm going up because I want to get back to Zion. I want to get back to where God's calling me. Um, And if anyone doesn't know Jesus this morning, the kind of life that is described in this book, the kind of restoration and joy, that is exactly what is in the heart of God for you. And some people think he's like just a cosmic lawgiver who looks down on us when we do something wrong. He's not. He's a father. He loves us. He wants us to be fully restored. He wants our joy to be complete. So I just wanted to encourage you that if you feel like something in this message has spoken to you this morning, if you feel like, yep, I've been in exile. Yep, I've been shut down. I've been squashed, I've been persecuted or I've been felt that pain, I just wanted to encourage you to come forward because I want to pray for you. I want to pray that there is a full restoration over your life, a full restoration of joy, a full restoration of um, your dreams coming back to life again, of worship, of prayer, of singing, of laughter, because I just feel this is the heart of God for us. He does not want us to suffer He doesn't want us to be alone. He doesn't want us to be stuck in Babylon where we're going, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who he is. I've been in that place and I did not want to spend another day there than completely necessary. But at the same time, God taught me things in that place that I would never have learnt in any other place. And sometimes that can be a very good teacher. And I always think about when... Israel came out of exile, wherever they were, whether it was Babylon or anywhere else, they always came out with such an incredible revelation of who God was. 
and through generations of living peacefully and comfortably, it's like they lost it again and they turned their heart to other gods or other ways. But when they came out of captivity was when they were at their strongest, when their faith was the brightest, you know, incredible. So I just wanted to encourage you, if you want prayer, if you want anything over your life, come down the front. We'll pray for you. Maybe Beck could um, sing that song. I just believe that there are, you know, when I went through my terrible experience and, and God had that restoration work in my heart, it's like whenever I lifted my, my heart up in prayer, I closed my eyes, I would see not necessarily faces, but people in our church scattered, like, you know, scattered by fear, scattered by rejection, scattered by someone else's control, scattered by intimidation, scattered by insecurities, scattered by the, the not knowing or, or the chasing of other things. And I just felt like God was going, I'm going to bring them all back to Zion. I'm going to bring them all back home.